Hey everyone, this is Dan Holzman with VGMAcademy.com. I wanted to introduce this interview with composer, orchestrator, and producer Chad Sider. He is working currently on a really big project called Game Theory. It's a concert, a live orchestra concert in L.A. that is going to focus specifically on the music from indie games. And the roster for the composers involved is fantastic. He's going to tell you more about that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the concert uh, towards the end of the interview, but uh, really excited to share this today. Uh, if you are as excited as I am, please feel free to share this uh, with others. I'd love to have everyone hear his advice. He gives some really great insights. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Chad. All right, so I've got Chad Sider here with me, and I am stoked to talk. We were just speaking a little bit before hitting the record button, and it sounds like we've got a lot of exciting things to talk about, uh, a really exciting concert that I wish I was on the West Coast for, but I'm not, uh, and I'll cry tears over it. But for now, <laughs> um, Chad Sider is joining us. Chad, thank you so much for being uh, on, the, on, the, on the internet with me tonight. And, and uh, Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, uh, and this is the first time hearing an interview with you, why don't you give sort of your personal introduction and and then we'll talk about maybe this uh, really exciting project you've got coming up. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a composer. Uh, I, I started in Los Angeles about 15 years ago now. Um, when I first started, I, I began my career working for Michael Giacchino. Uh, and that was a that was a big job. It was a, basically a gigantic boot camp for my composition career, uh, and you know preparing for it, learning what to do, what not to do, um, uh, and then uh, and that grew into writing additional music. And he's since given me lots of projects on my own that are awesome that I'm so proud of, um, including getting to write a Star Trek score, and that meant a lot to me. Uh, awesome. since he does the new movies, it was exciting to work on all of them. But after that, um, I went on and I had always loved arranging music and I love video game music, of course. And so I, 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 I helped create, uh, with, uh, Legend of Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses and then also, uh, Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. And I did both of those as like a producer and I did all the music for those shows. So there was that. And then from there, you know, I've done TV, I've done films and, and I do a lot of orchestration for uh, a lot of my friends and, and uh, arranging. So I do a little bit of a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, just looking at your, your credits, you've been busy. You've been very busy. <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of my credits. I've worked really hard and, and uh, I, I don't feel like anything's been given to me. I feel like I've, I've, I, I've worked really hard to earn them all uh, and and tried to, you know, just be really proud of my body of work. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about how, like, your your entrance into into the the gaming industry like you've you've got experience in film and 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 in games and and all these other areas of orchestration. Um, before we like dive in, I just gotta give a, a nice frame. Um, what do you feel like has been your unique advantage uh, in your career that's kind of helped you propel yourself? Because you've got a like you know you've got a, a work a work of a work uh, excuse me a body of work that is you should be proud of. I mean it's awesome. I mean you've done a lot of stuff. Why thank you. <laughs> um, I, I feel like one of my strongest uh, my strongest abilities is like 
I can do a lot of stuff um, where, like with, with music in general. Uh, when, when you're an assistant, uh, assistants, by the way, are also the hardest to work for because they've done it all. But when you're an assistant uh, uh, for another composer, you're essentially, in a sense, like a, a black ops division where you just handle what needs to get done. So if it's like, if it's writing, if it's orchestration, arranging, producing, uh, 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 managing like budgets, putting together scoring sessions, like helping organize. Sometimes it's just making Excel documents. Like uh, you, you have to do it all. And then uh, I've always had such a focus on music preparation. So, I, I mean, my main thing is, is the orchestra. I just... I freaking love orchestra and I do everything I can to just work with orchestras as much as I can. It's, it's where I keep going. It's my passion. So I just spent so much time learning about the orchestra. So I do a lot of orchestration and, uh, and, and, you know, on my own stuff, I, I, uh, my wife, Susie, uh, Susie Sider orchestrates my scores and, uh, and conducts them too. Uh, and I've had to learn how to conduct too. So it's like, I've, I've absorbed a lot of different jobs. And so I, it's hard sometimes to actually make sure you stay strong with your skills, you know, like much, much like an athlete that, you know, their skills might atrophy a bit if they're not focusing on their legs or their arms. Like it's kind of the same for me. I try to make sure I'm always, being engaged with all this different stuff and keeping up with production trends and, and, and just making sure I can always be relevant and competitive. How the hell do you do that? That's, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the biggest dangers in any field like this where you've got a lot to keep track of in terms of staying relevant and keeping your skills sharp. And especially nowadays with technology being ridiculous and getting more ridiculous, how do you, kind of stay on top of keeping yourself uh, at the, at the forefront? Well, I will say that I don't always like it's, it's scary and hard. There's a lot of depression and anxiety involved um, to, to put it bluntly. Good, uh, good, I'm yep. also, so I'm an <laughs> INTJ. I don't know if you know about Meyer Briggs, but I'm introverted, intuitive, I'm thinking and I'm judging. So in, in INTJ is generally known as like kind of a dick and I suppose I can be, uh, but they, they live in their own heads. Uh, and, and I also am like riddled with ADHD. So I'm just constantly, my brain is just constantly thinking. And so even while I'm not practicing, like literally doing music, I'm always thinking about when, when can I try this thing that I've got in my head for violins? Like, Oh, if I, like, what if I, cause I, one of my little orchestration tricks is, you know, well, it's not really my trick. It, just putting strings in four octaves. And it's like, well, what happens if I lose the second octave and fill it with like cordular trumpets? Can I put more strings on top and more on the bottom? And so I, I'm constantly like experimenting in my own mind. So when the next time comes that I'm looking at sheet music, it's like, well, I'll try those things, you know, or writing a score myself. Uh, it's just, it's cool because a lot of what I do from various things, they all, they all cross pollinate with each other. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think that I'm not familiar with the, um, what was it? You said the IN, INTJ, was it? Uh, yeah. INTJ, the Meyer Briggs uh, test, which is sort of like a de facto sort of 
simple diagnostic of personality traits. Oh, you know what? I think I actually did do that for a, a, a place I worked a few years ago. And yeah. it ended up, it was hilarious because it ended up just being incredibly divisive because I got all <laughs> yeah. the entire staff to do it. And then yeah. everyone was like, well, of course you are. Of course you're that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, when I tell said people, it out loud. Oh, yeah. When I tell people I'm an INTJ, for those who know, they stop and they think and go, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, at least they're not like, ah, oh, well, in that case, I'm going to get going here. No. Yeah, well, you know, some people are like, ooh, you're going to be tough to deal with. And I'm like, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, variety is the spice of life. What ah, there you go. go. Um, <laughs> cool. So I'm, I'm definitely going to ask you a few things about orchestration today because I feel like that's, you know, we talked before hitting the record button about business and how that's a huge weak area. But I also think that orchestration for new composers is a real struggle. Uh, aside from the fact that like, you know, the sort of the out of the box sample libraries that people start out with are not the, you know, matching up with what's in their head. And that's probably a, just a personal struggle thing. But it's also gotten worse as these libraries have gotten more customized, you know, it's like, it's easier to take it away from what the orchestra actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, because you've got things at your fingertips, you know, so easily read, you know, readily available, I feel like just sort of the art and the fundamentals of orchestration can be completely accidentally skipped. And yeah, well, with samples, it's just a total different experience working. Like, I don't even... When I, when I talk and stuff and people are like, well, samples versus the live thing, I'm like, you need to lose that idea right now because if you're not thinking about only the orchestra, like literally, you know, it's like, okay, you have six French horns. Well, what are you going to do with them? You know, it's not just one patch like, oh, here's my French horn sections and then the divisies. It's like, no, you're, you're going to have to write for six horns. You're going to have to know what voicings you're going to want to do and what is going to speak well and like because you're only going to get to try it once so you got to really plan for it it's it's it, i don't think people realize like a lot of the time what orchestration how daunting it actually is <laughs> yeah now do you do you feel like it goes kind of in the reverse direction as well where even though with samples obviously you don't have all of those you know real life um, limitations and real life sort of stakes um, that you do when you're recording a live orchestra where literally every minute is costing you an exorbitant amount of money. But, right. you know, with, with the samples, do you feel like there is um, sort of a, a miss in that other direction of, you know, because you're not focused on the orchestra piece of it and you're just looking at the samples, is there a key component that's missing there? Um, I never look at the samples. I, I've actually, well, which is, so, I mean, I make pretty great mock-ups. I, I think my mock-ups are really good, but it's not because I know how to use the samples well. Um, I think it's because I know how to work with the orchestra well. And when I know how to do that, it's, it's easy to make the samples do it for the most part, but it's frustrating where I'm mostly, I, I don't use, I, my samples are a tool to get the ideas out of my head in an efficient manner. Um, and so I've been, I've been blessed in the sense that I've never had to do a synth score. All my work, my body of work has 
uh, predominantly been live and uh, with with the exception of a few little things or using like pre-laid drums or something um, I've been really really fortunate to to work with uh, full orchestra so I I I don't really think of 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 samples so much as just getting the idea idea down and sometimes like I won't even program them like I won't even control like the dynamics or something because I just don't need to worry about it. it's like there's the note I can kind of hear it and I can move on mm -hmm. so um, they're, they're a tool to me it's basically the the closest way I've found to writing with pencil and paper in my in what I would what I would interpret as writing with pencil and paper Ah, okay. So do you think that now a lot of composers out there aren't going to, you know, even if, if they achieve, you know, big success, they may not have nearly as much exposure to a live orchestra as, as you have. Do you feel like orchestration is still as important for those folks who are going to be focusing even even in just in the sense of like maybe their instrumentation is going to be you know half synth half orchestral instruments you know do you still feel like that orchestration knowledge would be sort of a make or break for them well i mean it's tough to say because um you know i i when I orchestrate, I'm not just orchestrating my own music, but I'm, I orchestrate for lots of people over the years. And so I think like, I think something that happens is a lot of composers, they don't, they don't understand the breadth of, of what an orchestra, what it is to prepare music for an orchestra. I don't mean that to be condescending. I mean it to just say like, it's it's an art form you know they, there's composers that are recognized that are centuries old for having mastered the orchestra because there are just so many fine details that it's it's astronomical the amount of data you have to process when working with orchestras and so to some degree putting that out of your head when you don't know how an orchestra work is is empowering because it 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 prevents you from bogging down in all those details uh, because at the end of the day, if, you know, if you don't know anything about orchestra, you're going to hire someone or you're going to need to hire someone that's going to figure that all out for you, your orchestrator, basically. Um, and they're going to be the ones that are like, well, they don't really know how to write for violin or, or English horn, but I do. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to finesse this and make it good. And conversely, sometimes I orchestrate for people who know exactly what they want. And so I can actually get it wrong because they're like, no, you changed that. I put it back, you know, and, and it, it, no two composers are the same. I've worked for lots of talented composers that come from all different walks of musicianship. And, and so being a, and you learn from all of it too. What what's the same and what's different? Like what worked for this composer that's not working. What's working for this composer? What's not working? What works for me in my music and what's not working? Because uh, you know the same orchestra could play two different pieces and it's going to sound totally different. So it, it's it's just a it's a balancing act. I think it's it's like chemistry. Ooh, I like that. It's like chemistry, especially the, <laughs> you think of the, the, the chain reaction component of, like you said, there's so much data to, to process and, and keep track of if you make one change, just aside from the sheer magnitude of how much paperwork that is to change, you know, a part and, and get, push that out to a bunch of people. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, musically, just from a balance perspective, you could 
throw off the balance across a good portion of the board and then have to, you know, because you want to make one change, potentially have to make several changes to accommodate for that. Oh, yeah, because if, like, you know, it, uh, again, people don't realize, especially working in film where they're like, oh, let's make a, like, they'd make a pic- picture change. You know, they might edit out 15 frames, which is, which is roughly a half a second. Those are the worst because suddenly your tempo map is not going to line up and your sequence isn't going to line up. And if you have prelays, it's not going to line up. So you have to go in and fix the tempo and, and you have to figure out how, like, this is a 4-4 measure. Maybe now it needs to be a set, like, instead of dot, 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 dot rhythm, it needs to go like dot, 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 with like 7-8 or, or, you know, or maybe you have to put in a weird 5-8 bar to make the transition work. Like, and then if once you've done that, because, you know, they might ask for that on the recording stage, you know, a film, a director, producer might say, can we, we need to scooch this up, you know, we need to move it, like, I want the hit here and not here. That's like, well, can we either dictate it to the orchestra? Can we tell them what to do? Or do we need to, do we need to move on? and come back to this later, like have a team member go and prepare this fix, like, is, and then you have to print new parts, like for the entire orchestra. So you have to like look at it like uh, mathematically saying what's going to take the least amount of time, me dictating or us fixing offline from the session. So you can't it, just press the scooch button in post-production. You can't huh, just do that. Well, that's music <laughs> editing, which is another form, which is, can we just fix this later? And, and which is very important too, because maybe you don't have time for either. Uh, like, you know what, we're running out of time. We're behind on the amount of music. Usually you can record five minutes. Like what you should always budget for is five minutes of music per hour with an orchestra, but Mm -hmm. you can do better. I've gotten upwards of like 12 minutes with, with an orchestra per hour. So it, it's like, cool, do we have time to fix this? Is it worth it? Because it'll be better than music editing it. Or do we have to just say, like, it's fine the way it is and move on, you know, and, and fix it later. And, and in movies, too, you, you can never get anything perfect when you're working with music. So anyway, uh, uh, a music editor is going to go in and, and tighten things up no matter what. So it, can you just leave it for that phase? Which is, by the way, music editing is an art form unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. to kind of to kind of use this complex problem situation that that could potentially come up and probably comes up just about every time in some form or another, um, let's talk about um, sort of. Uh, you told me this is one of your favorite things to do. Let's talk about budgeting, because I feel like even from like a small scale and up, budgeting aside from the fact that it probably terrifies people. Um, I feel like budgeting is really something that, that people don't know how to approach without, um, without having a panic attack and without, you know, kind of knowing, you know, what they don't know, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, so, so, so you, you love budgeting, you said. I love budgeting. Uh, budgeting is my, one of my favorite parts. Uh, it's like my constitution, you know, it's my declaration of what I can and cannot do. You know, it's like, and planning the project, like, okay, I have X amount of money and I'm going to be recording. I'll have enough money to record for two days, uh, but I, have enough, I, I need three days. So what can I do to make it work 
do I, do I lose the woodwinds and trumpets and save some cash and maybe gain another three hours? Do I like, do I rely on recording this and then editing it later to be another cue, like record just the strings knowing that I'm going to take brass from another section and put it on top that, you know, might be derivative. And I did do that on our legend of Zelda, uh, 25th anniversary album. I knew we wouldn't have enough time, for example. So I had done this dark world theme in the symphony itself and in this medley. And I knew like, it's the same part. So I knew like we wouldn't have to record it twice. So I just recorded it the first time. And then we music edited it into the full symphony recording. Cause you know, that was like two minutes of music. So that is potentially 20 minutes lost with an orchestra where you could be getting new stuff. So um, budgets are really cool and, and, and it allows me to plan for the project. So I did a score a few years back called Recore where uh, we were talking about where we wanted to record it. And we had discussed Seattle. We had discussed Bratislava and uh, it was my friends making the game at Microsoft. And I was like, guys, I, you're going to have to come with me on this voyage because, you know, I'm going to need your help, but I want to do this in London. Like I want to do it right in London. And they were like, yeah, okay. And knowing when you record in London, that's like the Holy grail of recording. So it's incredible musicianship. It's, it's a lot of amount of work and business. You got to worry about uh, exchange rates because if you don't plan for exchange rates properly, you might get screwed out of, thousands and thousands of dollars and then you you're in debt because you have to pay the orchestra so like on record for example it was like it was like a hundred minutes of music and i came with 120 minutes of music uh because london they're incredible players and so i'm i was counting on getting more done than five minutes an hour so i basically budgeted for two day uh for two days which was nine well, I think I, and I, uh, it was like nine hours or 12 hours. And then I did percussion in the evening. So if percussion made a mistake, I would still be able to work with the orchestra. So it, it might've cost more to do the percussion at night after the orchestra's recording. And, but what it saved was time when, if they made a mistake, I, I could fix that later, you know, it, it, uh, with such complicated percussion that the score had. So uh, it just opened up a new breadth of opportunity. And I kept in, like, now I'm ranting, but, you know, I recorded at Air Lynnhurst, which is a gorgeous hall, but it's very roomy and dense. Like, the, it's, it can be muddy real quick. It's different than recording in an actual recording studio. So I, like, I knew I wanted percussion separate for control in the mix versus versus uh putting them all together at once where you know strings might not sound good so i would have to tell percussion to play quieter so strings could play louder i mean this all comes from budgeting and knowing how to do it so that's why i like to do it first and get that done so then all i have to worry about is the music and making sure to adhere to that budget and if i need to take from somewhere else that's fine if i need to add it to something like that's fine too. So anyway, sorry, that was a long explanation of why I like budgets. <laughs> no, but that's, that's a good explanation of why you like budgets. Now to, yeah. to follow up on that, what, you know, I've seen people do some crazy shit with spreadsheets, but 
you're talking about balancing not only the all of like the financial and logistical elements, but also kind of the musical elements at the same time. You're planning all of those together um, to execute these projects. So how what tools do you use to plan all of those things sort of uh, at the same time? So I have an excellent team. And what's most important is your team, I think. Uh, so uh, my assistant is, his name is Eric. He is awesome. So he does all the music preparation and, and handles all the organization of the sheet music and also of the cue lists. So if you're doing a game, you might have hundreds of cues that you have to keep organized. So he makes this incredible Google Docs that has like the time of the queue and, and like the time of the queue, how many measures and things. Cause you know, if you're doing a union project, you actually have to pay per measure of music. So you kind of have to keep an eye on that part of the budget too. So mm-hmm. where, instead of like saying, this is what I have for orchestration, like, you know, I have $1,000 for orchestration. I'm just making a number up, but then it's like, okay, you, a lot of orchestrators would just agree to that. But when you do a union project, that goes out the window. It's, it's like X amount of money per four bars. So if you decide to go write a piece in at 180 and 5.8, that's like, right there, it was three bars in like a second. So you got, you got to be really careful what you do with it. money. Yeah. 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 Well, orchestrators can love some orchestrators love that when that happens. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I can. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's that's a lot to that's a lot to balance. I mean, I've I've been involved in a few uh, recording projects. I I was uh, in the choir for uh, Final Fantasy fifteen, and oh, cool! Uh, I managed the choir that has done a, that choir. Now I manage. Um, I moved on a couple other things, and just even that piece of it is you know, enough to make me stressed out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, balancing all of what you and your team are talking about, that sounds, um, sounds crazy. Now the, yeah. the, to kind of continue sort of into the business part of, of, of all that um, you've got, you know, you started as an assistant. Now you're doing your own thing and you have an assistant. At what point in your career did you did you find that that made sense to like kind of make that transition of hiring an assistant? Um, because I'm, I'm sure I imagine you probably you know were just like you said earlier you were like you know you've got to hire people for certain little jobs, but you know at what point does it make sense for someone to say you know what I really at this point need someone either you know consistently part time or full time? Um, I mean, as as you know as we were talking about you're a father. Um, I think once I became of like, I'm neurotic. I want to like hang on to as much control as possible. Like I want to do it all myself, you know? And it used to be, I want to write every note and, and it's about, and I still want to, but I just can't. And it might be worse if I sat there trying because I'm tired or I just want to go play with my son even, you know? And so sometimes it's like triage where I might be like, you know what? I don't need to put in every string run. Like I put in the form and everything. My wife, uh, Susie, my orchestrator, or Eric, my assistant, can go add in the 
crazy runs and spend all that time working that out as part of their job. So I don't need to, I don't need to sit there for 30 minutes working out all those notes when I need to move on to the next queue so I can have dinner with my family, things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's because you could easily become the bottleneck. It sounds like. Oh, I, I would, I will, I will first and foremost say that if there's a bottleneck in any production, it's always because of me, uh, because I'm not letting something go or I want to do it myself or, or, you know, I just am super particular about something. I am always the one that will slow down a production. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so before we gloss past this, you know, uh, you mentioned that you're a father. I'm a father of two. I've got a uh, about to be four year old, and I've got a five month old. And uh, you have um, uh, you described it as 1.8 kids. So you've yeah. got another one on the Three way. Weeks. Three yeah, weeks. Three weeks to go. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so speaking of being tired, yeah, you're knocking no, on that door. Yeah, it's I'm I'm actually trying to wrap up a ton of work now, so I can go off the grid for a little bit. <laughs> Good for you. Now, does your did your first does your first uh, son right? Um, mm-hmm. Does he sleep? Like well, yes. He's never woken up in the night. Literally, I mean, oh. when he needed to be fed way back when. But as soon as he didn't need to sleep, when he didn't need to eat at night, he slept through the night one hundred percent. So we got as as two self employed people, my wife and I, working from home. Uh, where we are in charge of our, we don't go to work, you know, we, we're always at home. Having that nice rest is really important for your mental health. <laughs> now, you parents out there who, like me, had a child who was an absolute nightmare uh, with sleep. My, my, our oldest. Oof, sorry about uh, that. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, I'm just saying, you know, every time you hear someone say, oh, he sleeps, it's like, oh my gosh, how, how? It's like, Ah, uh, it's oh, yeah. It, I'll say that our second, he is so much better. But our first was like colicky. He would wake up multiple. And I mean, it was like yeah, uh, it was. It, we were on the ropes pretty bad for a while there. I mean, he didn't sleep through the night until he was about two. Well, we always say that we worked so hard for the first one for so long, and he's such a good little boy that uh, the universe has said, you know what, you got your perfect little kid. Now you're in it with everyone else, and. <laughs> Here comes, here comes the party. Here comes the normal baby. Have fun. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. I think the second ones have to kind of roll with it a little bit more, just like everyone else in the family does, because, you know. It needs less of your immediate concentration than the first one needed when you're learning. In fact, I was working and I almost missed the birth of my first son. I made it with, I made it back to Los Angeles with 40, 40 minutes to spare. (laughs) Holy hell. Oh, yeah, I was going to going to f- conduct in in Florida. I was and and Toronto. I was working on Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. I was conducting three shows, so my wife was like two weeks away, very pregnant. And when I and when I left, she was like waddling, like Ugh. and I I kind of was like I might miss the birth of my son. Um, and so I was at the airport. Our plane was our plane was delayed and delayed, which is good because I got routed to Dallas. So on as a connecting flight. So I, I took off and when I landed in Dallas, I turned on my phone and, and, and checked it. And all these messages start flooding in from my wife saying my water broke. Uh, 
get the next flight back. And she said, I lined up someone to replace you conducting, which our friend Brian Shore <laughs> took over. And he had happened to take his suit on a trip. So he was already on a flight to, to West Palm Beach while I had to work and negotiate a flight to get back to Los Angeles. My friend picked me up from the airport. We zoomed through traffic. I made it with 40 minutes to spare at 1230 at night. <laughs> now that's, that's an awesome journey for you, but I just want to make sure I give your wife a shout out for not only, I mean, she, she coordinated your work replacement without being able to talk to you while in labor. That is well, yeah, it's awesome. when you're a mom and pop music business, like I was only conduct, I was conducting it because she, she, she's normally my conductor. I was conducting it cause she could no longer conduct it after ah. a while. Like she couldn't travel. So learning to do that, I had to go learn how to do that. And then like, I'm going to go learn how to conduct an orchestra, I guess. And, and so it, she already had everything worked out being the, the expert. Um, and, she did it better than I could have ever had because I was a panicked wreck trying to get back. <laughs> I bet. I mean, I can't imagine being that panicked, but then having to sit on an airplane. <laughs> oh, it sucked. I, I, movies on a plane had never seemed so uninteresting to me. So <laughs> I know. It's like, these clouds are moving so slow. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that's crazy. Um, I I can't even imagine. I'm I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, my brain's trying to put myself in those shoes, and I'm already my pulse is already going up. So, <laughs> good good for you for for not having a complete uh, meltdown during that. I I, I can't imagine. Um, oh, thank you. We do yeah. the best. We, you always do the best you can. <laughs> yeah. So so let's. So speaking of uh, conducting, and and concerts, you've got a pretty big one coming up that yeah. I am super excited to hear about and uh, and just kind of dig into a bit. So I'm going to let you do the elevator pitch for that. So sure. go. So uh, it's called the Game Theory Concert, and it's coming to Los Angeles on October 5th. Uh, what it's it's uh, six composers featuring their music. I'm I'm one of them. This is a fundraiser uh, for a nonprofit called Musicians at Play, and I was connected to them through uh, my one of my percussionists in the orchestra here in L.A., Don Williams, who is the brother of John Williams, uh, is my timpanist and. Uh, when uh, and his wife uh, April is the is the director of Musicians at Play, this uh, nonprofit that raises money for music education and and generally uh, perpetuates uh, the independent musician plight in Los Angeles and helps fund new artists. So uh, she said they wanted to do a video game show, and 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 Don uh, said, "Boom, Chad." And so this this show was bestowed upon me, which was really cool. It usually I have to like work like crazy to pitch a show. And so it was fun to not have to worry about that. Like receiving a show, it's for a great cause. Um, and, and so basically I just got started and, and when you're all set, like when it comes like that, I could, I could think about what do we want to do? What should the show be? And, you know, I, I, I've done, I, I, the way I feel about it is like, I have done the retro games thing with 
Zelda and Pokemon. And I, I loved it. I learned so much, but uh, I feel like in, in modern times with, with, with politics and, and with, with uh, tech companies, you know, giving away our privacy more and more, I, I just feel like there was a lot on my mind that I want to say. Uh, so when, that was kind of the inspiration for game theory, uh, which is looking to the future of, of, of game music. So the six composers featured here, myself included, all come from different walks of life with a different breadth of knowledge. Um, a lot of them, like what we were talking about, are working with orchestras for the first time. You know, others are, are seasoned veterans. Uh, and so each person I, I picked was, uh, was especially curated. Like uh, Austin is, of course, he's Austin, Austin Wintry. He's just so, he's just omnipresent as, as you know, a triple I composer is what he said he likes to call it. Uh, and my wife, Susie, also orchestrates all his music. Uh, so we, he, we've been we've been vis-a-vis -vis part of the family for a really long time. So it was fun to invite him onto this. And then Grant Kirkhope is, I, I'd never met him before, but we joked on Twitter and stuff. Uh, but he is sort of like, like video game, American video game royalty in the mm -hmm. sense that he's been around like writing for N64 and prior. So he's had a breadth of projects that, that have spanned, uh, an incredible amount of time and changing industry, lots of changing industry. So uh, I, I knew I wanted him there. Uh, and then, you know, all the rare, like a lot of the rare guys left to go make uh, Playtronic that made ukulele. And, and so there's a grassroots nature of it uh, that a lot of these legacy, like old school game developers are doing. So I wanted that. Um, Laura Shigahara is, made her own game, Rakuen, like she literally made it all and wrote the music to it. And she's, it's just celebrated its second anniversary. And, awesome. and I mean, how, it's, she made it by herself. It's insane to me that she was able to do this. So I knew I needed her uh, and I just love JRPGs. So I, I wanted a, that element in the show too. And then Lena, like, I don't know if you've played Celeste, but I find it incredibly Stressful. Um, <laughs> I die every second, to say the least. And I, yeah. I, I love it. I, I just, I when I was playing it, you get, you know, you have to do a room like forty times before it finally goes. It's muscle memory. And I, I just loved what Lena did with the score. Like, left a lot of room sonically, and it fit perfectly. It kind of let you mellow through it, but had enough anxiety in the music to kind of have a, a perpetual motion to it. I, I think it's a phenomenal writing. So. And it's also a lot of electronics. And so I thought that it would be really cool to fuse it with, with orchestra and, and come up with new ideas with the orchestra. So she's working on that. Uh, and then Jake Kaufman, uh, who wrote Shovel Knight, we met online when we were kids, coincidentally, on America Online. What? When you could, we put down that we had film music and game music as hobbies on America Online where you could put that and you'd search and you'd find like 25 people that had the same interest as you. In your profile. I forgot you had profiles. Yeah. Oh so I met Jake and we were like in an American Online, America Online chat room talking about music. And then after a while, you know, we grew up, we went to high school and, and then college and whatever. We, we just lost normal touch as like an online buddy that I'd think back and be like, oh, he was awesome. 
And then we met in LA, like coincidentally, we were both working in LA and it was like, Jake Kaufman. And he's looking at me like, Chad Sider. We were like, holy shit, really? Like, and he's working professionally. I'm working professionally. So Jake, of course, had to be in the show. That was like, there was no negotiation. Jake must be here. So as awesome. one of my oldest friends in music. Uh, and then finally me. Uh, I finally get to program my own music, which I don't normally get to do. I usually am doing arrangements of other people's music. So this will be the first time I've been able to share my music with and with an audience in in, in orchestra hall. So I, I my friend Zach, uh, may, uh, Zach Quarles, he worked at, he, as of recently, he, he worked as uh, an audio director at Microsoft. Uh, and over the five years, he made a, a game by himself, uh, which is a point-and-click adventure called Archangel. So a point-and-click is mostly sound and music. There's, there's nothing else to compete with. So he did all the sound design as he did at Microsoft, and, and I wrote the music having – and I've, I've worked with Microsoft a whole bunch of times, and, and we're all friends there – uh, and so I wrote this score and, and the game has like uh, the main themes of the game are like anxiety, depression, addiction and things, which as an artist are things we all grapple with. And at me in particular, I really struggle with my own anxiety. It's really potent. And so uh, it was cool to be able to write music that was, I basically wrote the score about myself. So I consider it in some sense, my first symphony. So what's cool about this is I've been converting it to an actual symphony, my first symphony. And I get to bridge like my concert experience now with my own music and share parts of my symphony with the audience. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that was a whole lot of talking. Sorry. I mean, what, what's cool about it is that it's just a culmination of a, of a lot of good things that, yeah, no that the, the synergy is really good. It's all really positive. We, we're all working together to make something. It's not just like six composers showing off their music. Like we're all working together on it. It's going to feel cohesive as an experience. I mean, you've got a, you've got a, you know, not just like a, a, a flashbang, you know, big deal kind of, kind of roster. You've got a, you've got a, a really solid, I think, um, versatile uh, roster of of composers and music here. I am, yeah. I am. I mean, that's that's going to be so so fantastic to hear here live. And and the composers they're going to be involved in the the live presentation of the music, right? Yeah, some of them I I didn't know. Like I didn't know Laura or Lena. I had never met Grant in person, and so uh, I've really gotten as I've gotten to know them, it's been really fun getting to know them and we've become friends. So it's, it's like, we're all doing this. To, like I wanted this vibe. I wanted to feel like we're a family that's putting together, putting this together um, in particular so that it doesn't sound like there's six composers just running through their set lists. Like they're all curating it in their own ways to tell their stories and, and they're going to be on stage. They're going to be hosting the show, too, and talking through why they chose the pieces and what it means to them and, and what, what, where they were in their lives when they wrote them. Uh, and, and, you know, it just happens to be that when this happened, it's all on these hit franchises. 
that it's 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 just it's freaking cool. I can't wait. <laughs> now, I mean, first before I forget mentioning it, everyone should go to GameTheoryConcert.com to check it out. Um, not only can you buy tickets now, which if you're anywhere, you know, if if you can travel to the LA area, you should you should do that and and do yes, this. Yes, please. And, yeah, go go buy and enjoy. Um, and, but the videos, I love your approach to sort of introducing each of the composers on the website. You've got the producers pre-production chat and you've got all these like really, um, really awesome kind of intimate, almost like behind the scenes um, one-on-one conversations with each of the composers sort of talking about what they're going to do um, and, and what you're excited about, which, which is like, is just a really interesting, even if you can't go to the concert, it's really exciting and interesting to yeah, listen to you. Collaborate. It's fun. But please come. We're fundraising for a good cause and, and need all the support we can get. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Buy tickets, people. Um, this is, I mean, and then, like you said, it's a it's a, an awesome sort of mix-up of all these things, but all for a good cause. Um, yeah. Which is fantastic. I um, think it'll be just a really great way to, to showcase all these composers and what they're doing, not what they have done. So, Chad... I'm super excited for you and for this concert and for this group. I want to keep on this concert and keep sharing things about it because I'm so excited about it. Thank you so much for speaking to me tonight. I'm really excited to share our conversation with the VGM Academy uh, community. I know they're going to get a lot of value out of uh, all the things that you've talked about tonight. And I hope that anyone in the area goes to the concert. Thanks, Dan. I, I really appreciate it. I'm sorry if I ranted. I hope, I hope someone found it useful. <laughs> uh, Dude, I'm sure they did. Trust me. <laughs> Absolutely. The rant thing's when the good stuff comes out, you know? Exactly. I, so, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I agree. So, well, thanks so much again. And uh, we'll sign off here. And I look forward to hopefully talking to you again really soon. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you soon. Yep. That's it for our interview today with composer, orchestrator, and concert producer Chad Sider. If you'd like to learn more or buy your tickets for the Game Theory Concert in L.A. on October 5th, head on over to GameTheoryConcert.com and buy your tickets today. Game Theory Concert, the Indie Game Symphony, is presented by the Ford Amphitheater alongside Musicians at Play Foundation. Have you ever wanted to get career advice from industry experts like today's guest, Chad Sider, or Russell Brower of World of Warcraft fame, or Darren Korb from Supergiant Games? If so, go to vgmacademy.com join and join our members network. Academy members get to attend a live Q&A each month with industry experts like Chad and hear live answers to their questions. We're very excited to announce that July's member Q&A will be with Chad Sider on Wednesday, July 24th. If you enjoyed today's interview and you'd like to ask Chad a question about composing or your career, head on over to vgmacademy.com join today. See you inside.